0: Hello and welcome to episode two of Anything and Everything. This is a podcast from the Transition Year Students of Scovera Cork. I'm Isabel Healy and today I'm joined by Sarah Foley and Sophie Gine. We have a very exciting lineup today, don't we girls?
1: We do. Hi Isabel, thanks for having us. We're so excited for today's show. We've got a stand-up piece today from Anastasia. You do
0: not want to miss that one.
1: We'll also be hearing from Hazel, our in-house show jumper.
0: I'm looking forward to hearing from them. We also have a moving piece from Abby and Kate around the topic of grief and bereavement. But to start the show, here's a conspiracy on one of the most famous ships in history, the infamous Titanic.
2: Hi, my name is Emily Walsh, and I'm here on today on Vera's podcast, Anything and Everything, to discuss well-known conspiracy theories. Now, what are they? It is an attempt to explain tragic or harmful events as a result of the actions of a small, powerful group. And would you believe that over half of America's population believe in conspiracy theories? with so many well-known conspiracy theories, such as Area 51 or the iconic moon landing. However, today I will be focusing on the infamous Titanic sinking. The first conspiracy theory I will be discussing is the sinking of the Titanic over 100 years ago. In the late evening of the 14th of April 1912, the world's biggest luxurious ship, the unsinkable Titanic, sank, killing 1,517 of the 2,223 passengers and crew on board after hitting iceberg shortly after departing Cork, was heading to New York. However, the conspiracy simply suggests the ship's parent company, the White Star Line, swapped the Titanic for one of their older ships, the Olympic ship, for their voyage from Southampton to New York. Previously, on the 20th of September 1911, the Olympic collided with the HMS Hawk just off the coast of Isle of Wight. This incident caused many problems for the ship owners, White Star Line, as this would lead to the Olympic having to be taken out of service whilst they repaired the damage caused to the ship. However, this also meant that the Titanic maiden voyage would have to be postponed from the 20th of March to the 10th of April. The White Star Line then came up with a weight to claim back not only the money they missed out on due to the Olympic being repaired. But also the money that couldn't be claimed back from the incident, so a plan was devised to swap the Titanic ship with its sister ship, the Olympic, and deliberately sink it in order to claim back compensation, with only those in charge knowing the truth. Now that the plan was set in motion, they began renovating the Olympic ship to look exactly like its sister ship, by covering tile floors of carpets due to footprints left by previous passengers that would not be visible to the brand new Titanic. Other parts of the ship would have also been switched such as taking out cabins on the actual titanic speed deck and replacing them with the olympics promenade to convince the public even more however this isn't the only piece of evidence that could be used to back up this conspiracy theory as many people who had worked on building the titanic in the shipyard Highland and wolf in belfast later confessed years later that the ship were in fact switched however this white Starline company threatened the workers that it would be their final job if the incident ever became public one man James A. Fenton was one of the few people who told his fellow seamen that they were in fact switched. A man in Australia sent a letter in the newspaper informing them of the conversation he had had with his son, Paddy, explained that two men of high position in both the government and the company met with the surviving crew once rescued, informing them that they would receive a minimum of 20 years in prison and would not get a job once released if any rumour of the insurance claim or if the real reason of the Titanic sinking was ever released. Also, J.P. Morgan, one of the owners of the White Star Line Company, addressed the public only days prior to the Titanic's maiden voyage to certify that he would be on board. However, J.P. Morgan, amongst other 50 first-class passengers, cancelled last minute as he was sick, but days later he was spotted in France, perfectly healthy. He had also several valuable bronze statues removed from the ship one hour before the ship left Southampton. J. Bruce Ismay also cancelled last minute due to his wife being ill, however she was spotted on holiday in Wales shortly after. This led many people to believe that did J.P. Morgan and J. Bruce Ismay know that the ship was going to sink? So what do you think? Did the Titanic really sink or was it swapped with the Olympic? I'm not so sure. I'll have to do a bit more research. And that's all from me. I hope you enjoyed. Thanks for listening to SMC's Anything and Everything. Over to you in the studio. Now it's over
3: to Sarah, who's joined in studio by Hazel, our show jumper extraordinaire. Hi, I'm Hazel and I'm an Irish show jumper.
1: Hey Hazel, so tell me a little bit about how it all started off for you.
3: Well, I've been competing since I was around five. My mum did show jumping and my dad was a jockey, so I've been around horses my whole life. I love the sport. It takes a lot of work and effort, but it's definitely worth it, especially jumping the big competitions.
1: What's your training routine like?
3: Well I train most days after school but there is some rest days and at the weekends I go competing at
1: shows. And for the people that don't know a lot about horses could you tell us a little bit about kind of what the training involves?
3: Well I train every day after school and most days it would just be on the flat so there's no jumps involved but then maybe one day a week we jump over fences as practice for the weekend to get them ready. And who are you trained by? I'm trained by Michael Condon and he's trained at top class shows in loads of different countries and I learned so much with him because he's really experienced and knows a lot. Whereabouts is he based? Uh, he's based in Wexford, but he travels down to Cork to train us, which is really good. Oh, that's so handy. Yeah. Um, where do you keep your horses? Are they on livery somewhere or in your own yard? Um, I'm lucky enough to have a farm with stables at home, so I get to see them every day because a lot of people have to travel to see their ponies to check up on them, so I'm lucky enough to have a yard.
1: Okay, so tell me a little bit about your horse.
3: Uh, My pony's name is Romeo and he's eight years old this year. I've a strong relationship with him and get along so well and he's just amazing.
1: Uh, So how long have you had Romeo and tell me a bit about the process of building a relationship (laughs) with him.
3: Well, I've had him since he was four years old and it takes time for them to get used to you and it takes time for you to get used to them because... Di- Go on different ponies are so different to each other.
1: I get it you learn something different from every horse you ride.
3: Yeah exactly they're all completely different from each other.
1: I know myself I'm just after buying a horse and it took ages to find the right one. Can you tell the listeners just a bit about the process of buying a horse?
3: Well first you have to find a horse that suits you with the age of him etc and You go to try them first, and if you like them, you can get them vetted because they need to get, like, x-rays, their blood's done, and if that all goes well, then it's safe to buy it.
1: And you were saying you compete a lot. Where's your favourite place to compete? Well,
3: I've jumped in the RDS twice, and once in the main arena. It was an amazing experience. And also, in November last year, I competed in Belgium and the Netherlands. Um, It was amazing over there, and to bring the pony over, they go over on the ferry... And then when they land, um, we landed in France and drove through up to Belgium. So,
1: Oh, wow. Do you ever get nervous doing the big tracks at the shows? Um,
3: well, before I go into the arena, I usually I am quite nervous. But once I start, I get my game face on and it's all good from there.
1: Do you have any like pre-show rituals? I know for me, I always listen to music before I go into the ring.
3: Uh, I just like to be with my pony, really and to go through the course in my head so I don't forget it. I talk to my trainer and he tells me all about the course.
1: And how do you prepare the horses for competition? What's your routine with them?
3: Well, usually you just train them um, the days before it and then you give them the same feeds during the whole week. You wouldn't want to change it up just for a competition. Yeah, keep things regular. Exactly, yeah. And you clean them, make them spotless so that they're (laughs) nice and pretty for jumping. And are you still competing with Romeo? Um, no, unfortunately not, because now that I'm 16, I have to move on to horses and Romeo is a pony. So at the moment I'm looking for a horse. It's really hard to find, though. I've been looking since January. Yeah, so hopefully I'll find the one soon.
1: Is Romeo still in the family? Do you have siblings at right? Yeah, thankfully he is, because
3: my sister uh, competes as well. So we're keeping Romeo for her.
1: So what are your plans now for the summer that you don't have Romeo?
3: Well, I'm hoping I find one soon in the next month or so because there's so many competitions on in the summer and I'd be sad to miss out on them all
1: thanks so much for that best of luck in your search for a horse I hope to see you out at the shows in the summer
3: thank you and I hope to see you too
1: next up we've got Laura and Caitlin doing a segment on sleep I don't know about you Soph but I always find it tough to get to sleep on school nights I'm the exact same hopefully
4: they'll have some advice to help us Hello and welcome to Anything and Everything with SMC. My name's Laura
5: and I'm Caitlin and today we will be discussing how vital it is to get a good night's sleep and offering advice on how you can improve the quality of your sleep.
4: Does this sound familiar? You've had a busy week and you're exhausted from school. You try to fall asleep but you just can't. Well we have some helpful tips and tricks on how to get a better night's sleep so you don't hit that snooze button. We
5: all know that sleep is very important, especially in the lives of teenagers. Sleep is an essential function that allows your body and mind to recharge, leaving you refreshed and alert
4: when you wake up. Healthy sleep also helps the body remain healthy and reduce the risk of diseases. Without enough sleep, the brain cannot function properly. This can affect your abilities to concentrate, think clearly and process memories.
5: Work schedules, day-to-day stressors, a disruptive bedroom environment and medical conditions can all prevent from receiving enough sleep. A healthy diet and positive lifestyle habits can help ensure an adequate amount of sleep each night.
4: But did you know that there are four stages of sleep? The first three stages of sleep are NREM, non-rapid eye movement sleep. And the final stage of sleep is REM, rapid eye movement sleep. First, stage 1.
5: N or EM, the first stage, makes the transition between wakefulness and sleep. This typically lasts several minutes.
4: Then stage 2. The second stage is marked by deeper sleep as your heart rate and breathing is slowing down. This is the longest stage of the sleep stages.
5: Stage 3, the third stage, makes you feel refreshed and alert for the next day. This will be longer at first and then shorter as the night progresses.
4: And stage four, REM, the last stage. The first REM cycle usually lasts about 90 minutes after you fall asleep. This is when dreams occur. The length of your REM cycle increases during the night and helps convert your recently learned experiences into long-term memories.
5: Now that we've discussed the technical stuff, we have five helpful tips on how to get a good night's sleep.
4: Number one, stick to a sleep schedule. Set aside around 8 hours for sleep. The recommended amount of sleep for a healthy adult is at least 7 hours. Go to bed and get up at the same time every day, including weekends. Being consistent reinforces your body's sleep-wake cycle. And if you don't fall asleep within about 20 minutes of going to bed, try to do something relaxing. Read or listen to soothing music. Go back to bed when you're feeling tired. Repeat as needed, but continue to maintain your sleep cycle and wake-up time.
5: Number 2. Pay attention to what you eat and drink. Don't go to bed hungry or stuffed. In particular, avoid heavy or large meals within a couple of hours of bedtime as your body will stay awake trying to digest all the food you've eaten. If you're feeling full before bed, try some of these snacks. Bananas, filled with potassium which can help improve sleep quality. Pineapples, oranges, they can increase melatonin levels two hours after eating. Nuts and seeds, nuts especially pistachios, contain tryptophan an amino acid related to improved sleep quality.
4: Number three, create a restful environment. Keep your room dark, cool and quiet. Exposure to light in the evenings might make it more hard to fall asleep. Avoid prolonged use of blue light emitting screens just before bedtime. Change your phone settings to night mode if you need to use your phone before bed. Consider using room darkening shades, earplugs, a fan or other devices to create an environment that suits your needs. Number four, limit daytime
5: naps. Long daytime naps can interfere with nighttime sleep. Limit naps to no more
4: than one hour and avoid napping late in the day. And lastly, number five, include physical activity in your daily routine. Regular physical activity can promote better sleep, but however, avoid being too active close to bedtime.
5: If you're still interested in finding out more about sleep, these helpful documentaries and websites are proven to help you get a better night's sleep. Netflix show Headspace is proven to help people sleep. A soothing voice guides you through 10 minutes of theory and an introduction, followed by an 11-minute meditation that you can follow. This is very helpful because it allows you to put your newly acquired theory into practice. Meditation can be hard to do at first, but the more you watch, the easier it becomes
4: www.sleepfoundation.org helps provide you with information about sleep it gives helpful tips and tricks about how to get a good night's sleep thank you so much
5: for listening we hope, hope that you, you have gained some new information about, about the importance, importance of sleep The Elm Tree Thorn, award winning restaurant and bear, try a or a la carte menu come join us in a new lounge now open Anastasia's up next with her
1: hilarious piece of stand up comedy get ready for a great laugh I'm really excited for this segment
6: So I'm Anastasia and I'm here on Anything and Everything and I'm gonna talk about my pet peeves about being a girl's. I'm gonna go on a rant now, so listen in, because there is so much I'm gonna say. Now, people say TY is a year to experience things. Now what they mean is something nice for work experience, some volunteering, you know, those things. You see, I go to an only girl's school and like the people I know who haven't even been or seen one say after I describe it to them, it's like wild child. Yes, there are first-years that are so boy-deprived that they will swoon at the first one they see. Even if it's a step that yells in a squeaky voice, a haircut that looks like it's been licked by a cow and looks like a beaver, they will fall in love with him in groupies. Now, we're not those first-years anymore with a patchy fake tan that makes us look like pretzels, and we've learned we do not crush over that one really ugly h step. no. Instead, we look to find cute guys outside of school and one of the places I've heard people and myself go is a science olympiad. Seriously, I mean, there's bound to be one cute guy there, but most of them fit into the stereotype of a creepy physics guy, and believe me, you do not want to know. But he's not the only guy you find at other schools, and there's plenty more. Like, firstly... There's that one sporty guy that plays the most popular sport at his school, mainly rugby. He's buff, he goes to a lot of parties, and his idea of flirting is talking to the girls about how good he is at his sport. Because face it, he's treated like a god for being good at his sport in school, which is annoying, but hey, that's what he's good at, and at least this time the girl is interested and does not want to run away like the creepy physics guy. But not every guy plays rugby. Some play other sports that are second rate at their school. Now, unlike the first guys, they don't spend a lot of time bragging because they know that if they talk about being good at table tennis or being a cox at rowing, it can be good at a national level. But the girl that they're trying to impress will probably say a sweet comment and mm-hmm, like a cow. Mm-hmm. In some schools, the second most popular interest isn't a sport, and I mean, at least when it's a sport, some people are staying fit. They're inclined to join and they're learning sportsmanship. I mean, they're working together. Now, when it's debating, it's the complete opposite, and the ego boost goes to a couple of overly politically aware teenagers who dress up in fedoras and suits trying to recreate 17 going on 70. They believe that if they go ask a girl about her opinion on the economic situation in Moldova, she will give them their opinion and they'll start to flirt. And a girl, in a reality, the girl might have no clue, or she's just weirded out, and the guy's trying to act mature her his age, just comes out looking like a sleazy politician. In reality, though, at least that guy's a nerd with an interest. And this isn't the only interest nerds can have. And at this point, I should consider myself lucky that they have interest instead of studying all day for exams that are two years away. I mean, at least these guys ha- have interests that are worth it and have found something worth their time instead of becoming a teacher's pets. Now, I mean, you may know teacher's pets that constantly compliment teachers, but there's also the ones that do not talk to anyone but the teacher to the point where even the teacher itself is creeped out. And at this point, though, I don't know if playing video games all day is much better, but at least it does not creep people out on its heartless for the most part. Now, speaking of interests, I do sports in a club. And I think it's fair to say that a club is like a family, not only in terms of how close people are, but also in the terms of the characters there. I mean, you've got the two aunties that are always gossiping amongst themselves about something which isn't their business. And then there's also that one guy, which you never see talking to someone his own age. He's like that creepy uncle that proclaims, I'll sit with a young lady and only talks to younger girls or boys sometimes, making them feel a bit uncomfortable. What he says comes off as flirting and either creeps out the girls, makes him seem like a jerk or both. I mean, the girls his own age don't find him attractive and have figured him out. So he attempts with other girls that are younger, which is questionable. Now, I think I've trashed enough. So I'll give some tips because, face it, they need to improve. Number one, you're not an animal. There is no reason to act like a gorilla punching your computer if it isn't working or shouting like a monkey in class. The teacher isn't going to pick on you if you go, me me, me, me," or even whining like a dog when you're doing something you don't want to do. The amount of boys I know that will go, I don't want to do this. It does not make you look good. Now, this brings me on to number two. Have a nice diet and buy yourself a cookbook. Is eating the same meal every week for 24 weeks good for you, especially if you feel sick after eating it? No, and believe me, I know there's other things in that shop you could have gotten instead of that spice box. And at this point, I don't know how much I can complain about your lunch being fruit, like a bunch of apples or oranges or bananas or pears, like a good nine of them, because at least that's healthy and you're not getting tuna to stink up the whole room. Now, number three. Take a shower. No one wants to smell your dirty clothes after sport as well as your last few meals, which, for all I could know, could have been a monster, some chocolate, a pack of smoked salmon, on gone off bread, and some hard-boiled egg. I mean, who knows at this point? And, by the way, get yourself a nice haircut and clothes that you like. Don't be that one guy wearing the same clothes from sixth class that his mom bought him after dragging him shopping while he was trying to play it cool. I mean, you've probably grown since then, your style has changed. You're always trying to persuade people how much you've changed in sixth class, so why haven't your clothes? And lastly, please leave the room. There is probably another person in the world that is interested in D&D, but are they really at your friend's party with the people he knows from sailing? They could be, but probably not. So don't go rant about it to some poor person. Your time will come. And also, please don't be creepy to the poor younger girls. So thanks so much for listening. Now, girls, you know what I'm talking about. You've probably seen at least one of those guys before, and sometimes it's best to avoid some of them.
0: We'll hear from Rebecca, Jess, and Sarah. Are you preparing for have an interview coming up? Because if so, these girls have some amazing tips to make sure you give off the best impression possible. Hello and welcome to the Skull Vera Cork
7: podcast, anything and everything. Today I'm going to be helping two of my friends to cure their nerves before and during an interview. My first guest today is Rebecca. Hi Rebecca.
8: Hi Jess, how are you today?
7: I'm very excited to talk to you. How are you?
8: I'm a little bit nervous just because I'm being interviewed for my dream job tomorrow and I really want to get the position.
7: Do not stress, I'm here to help. First of all what do you think helps to reduce your nerves?
8: I'm not going to lie I do usually resort to alcohol which I am not proud of because it is only temporary help and is not good for my health in the long term. Don't be
7: ashamed as you're not the only one who does this. I'm so glad you came to me for advice as there are healthier ways to reduce nerves. For example try and have a self-care day and watch your favourite movie.
8: That sounds nice, but the thing is, I don't feel like I have enough time in the day for that, especially when I could be working on my interview skills. Do you have any other helpful methods? Yes,
7: of course. Don't be afraid of the nervous feeling. When you feel the jitters, don't freak out. Just take a few deep breaths or find a distraction like reading a book to take your mind off it.
8: I do enjoy reading, actually. I'm reading a great novel at the moment and it helps me relax. Thanks so much for the advice, Jess. I'll be coming back.
7: Good luck in the interview. My next guest is Sarah. Hi, Sarah. How are you?
8: Hi, Jess. I'm so paranoid about my interview tomorrow and it's disrupting my sleep. It's really important. Can you help? Don't worry. That's what I'm
7: here for. I've got some tips. Try some relaxation techniques like meditation or even yoga. You can find videos on the internet on YouTube. Maybe try journaling, write down your thoughts and what's bothering you. Or even do some breathing exercises like the 4 7 method close your lips and inhale through your nose for a count of four. Hold your breath for a count of seven. Exhale completely through your mouth, making a washing sound for a count of eight. Repeat this three to ten times. And don't forget to maintain a healthy lifestyle. Thanks, Jess. Do you have any meditation videos you recommend? I just search for videos on the internet and I just try all of them and then I'll find you'll find one that's good for you.
8: Thank you so much for the help. I really appreciate it. Hopefully these
7: methods work for everyone.
8: Good luck, Sarah. If any of the above methods unfortunately do not work for you, maybe seek help from a medical professional or talk to a trusted friend and get advice. Thanks for listening. We hope
0: you enjoyed. Next up, the amazing Hazel and Sandvi will be talking about women in STEM. Take it away. Hi, everyone. Welcome
9: back to Anything and Everything with SMC. I'm Sandvi.
10: And I'm Hazel.
9: Today, we're going to be talking about women in STEM. Coming from an only girls school, we feel it's important to educate people about STEM and women in STEM. At the end of today, we're going to be talking about a few points about how we are part of STEM ourselves. Before we start talking about women in STEM, let me explain to you about STEM on its own. To start off, for anyone who doesn't know what STEM stands for, it's science, technology, engineering, and maths. It's usually used to address the education policy or the curriculum choices in schools. You know what the interesting thing is? Mm -hmm. STEM is not only about the subjects you study, it's also about the development of problem-solving skills and helps success across a variety of tasks and disciplines. To give a better insight on what it is, it is the teaching of critical thinking skills and instills a passion for innovation. Now Hazel is going to talk about some important women in STEM. Thank you, Sambi. Today I'm going to be talking
10: about one woman to represent each of the four branches of STEM. For science, we have Cecilia Payne who was born the 10th of May 1900 and died the 7th of December 1979. She was born in England and studied at Cambridge University and was the first person to earn a PhD in astronomy from the Harvard University. She was the first person to suggest that stars are made of mostly helium and hydrogen However, this was rejected by other scientists because it contradicted beliefs at the time. Her thesis, where she wrote about this, was later described as the most brilliant PhD thesis ever written
9: in astronomy. Oh my god. PhD. That is interesting stuff. Now, could you tell me a bit about technology? Sheng Wu was born in 1912
10: and died in 1997. She was a Chinese-American physicist known as the First Lady of Physics. She studied at the University of California, Berkeley, where she got her PhD. She worked on the Manhattan Project at Columbia University, developing the atomic bomb. She focused on radiation detectors mainly. She later worked with two other physicists to disprove the law of parity, which stated that all objects and their mirror objects behave the same, for which her colleagues received Nobel Prizes, but she went unrecognized. She was also the first woman to serve as president of the American Physical
9: Society. Radiation. Oh my god. That sounds intense. Okay, could you tell me about engineering? For engineering, we have a biochemical
10: engineer. May C. Jemison was born in 1956 in Alabama, and she is still alive today. She attended Stanford University on a scholarship to pursue a career in biochemical engineering. After graduating, she attended Cornell University Medical College and studied in Cuba, Kenya, and worked on a Cambodian refugee camp in Thailand. She got an M.D. in 1981. In October 1985, she applied to be an astronaut at NASA, and on June 4, 1987, she became the first African-American woman in space.
9: Space always interests us. Now, who's next for Matt's?
10: For maths, we have Grace Hopper, known as the Queen of Code. She was born in 1906 and died in 1992. She received her PhD in maths at Yale University. She applied for the Navy in World War II, but was rejected because she was 34 and considered too old to serve. She joined the Navy Reserve and worked on the Mark I Computer Programming, also known as the Atomic Sequence Control Calculators, at Harvard. She was rejected by the US Navy again when she reapplied at 38 and worked at Harvard until 1949. She developed a program that could turn machine code into English and was the oldest serving officer in the US armed forces when she retired in 1986 at 80 years old.
9: Oh my god, queen of codes, nice. Now, just like the woman that came before us, we also aspired to make our own impact on STEM, which is why we have entered our all-girls team, Empower Racing, into the Irish F1 in Schools competition. We have made it to the national finals
10: and we will be competing against all other teams from across the country tomorrow virtually. Don't forget to wish us luck and follow us at Empower Racing on Instagram.
9: I hope you enjoyed our segment in today's episode. Thank you for listening.
10: The Elm Tree
5: Glen award winning restaurant and bear. Try a or a la carte menu. Come join us in
0: a new lounge now open. I have no idea what it would feel like to lose a parent, but these two girls do. Abby and Case are going to talk about their experience of coping and managing with the loss of a parent.
11: Hi, I'm Abby, and welcome to Anything and Everything, a Sculvera Cork
12: podcast by
11: TY students. Hi,
12: I'm Kate, and today me and Abby are going to be talking about what it's like to lose a parent. I was 12 when I lost my dad. Abby, how old were you? Uh,
11: I was nine, going on 10. Uh, Kate, um, how did you find out? Like, what was
12: the situation? Basically, we went in to see my dad in the Mercy like two days before he passed, and we all slept in my mum's room that night. And then my mum woke up at six to go visit my dad and she'd found it he passed. So I think that morning we all kind of knew it was kind of coming. So, and yourself? Uh Yeah,
11: well, I was just at home and then my dad and my brother had came back from a rugby match. And then I just kind of found out then. And yeah, it was unexpected. But um, yeah, I guess it was kind of hard to like comprehend when you're so young. And like when you just hear about it, it's hard to just like take it in, you know. But yeah. Um, yeah, how did you, like, kind of cope with it, like, once you kind of found out? To
12: be honest, I kind of pushed it off at the start, you know, because it's kind of a hard thing to think about. But I talk about it with my family more now. It's more of a happy topic to talk about my dad now. But I think at the start, when he first passed, it was more of a, oh, my God, this is such a deep thing, do you know?
11: Yeah, yeah, I remember when at the removal and all that, uh the all the teachers in my primary school like went and there was of people supporting me and you know making sure I don't know I was happy and stuff but I guess I think it was hard to you know let it sink in like I don't think I actually could comprehend what actually had happened like straight away I think maybe like a few years after I only kind of like understood like how it felt to like lose someone you know like especially someone so crucial in your life you know
12: yeah, actually the metal team came to my dad's removal and um, a lot of the girls from our class came as well. It was actually really nice to see like, the community of Skullvera come to something like that.
11: Yeah, I think it was very nice the way all the teachers came to mine and the principal, I think it was very nice. I didn't go to school for a few weeks afterwards because obviously I wasn't really in a good condition to go in. But I remember when I had came in my class, they got a, a shoebox and everyone in my class wrote prayers and they put it into the shoebox and they like decorated the shoebox with like glitter and stuff. And then when I came back to school, they gave it to me and I still have it at home. Uh, and then also I remember my family, they were really there for me. Like, once I'd found out, like, the day I found out, they were all there telling me I was okay and stuff. And I remember I went to my cousin's house once I'd found out. And I remember I just didn't want to talk about it. I remember we were just playing, like, I don't know, like, Barbies or, like, something. Like, I don't know, I just wanted to get my mind off of it. But I guess it was very nice to have people there for me, you know, during that kind of situation. But, uh, yeah, do you have any good coping
12: mechanisms? One, I'm kind of sad, but my dad, I'll talk to my mom because... My mum would have more, like, happy memories of my dad because they were together for, like, 20 years. But um, So my mum would, like, tell us, like, happy stories so it wouldn't be, like, more of a negative image in her head about him. It would be more, like, happy memories of, like, what my dad used to be like.
11: And yourself? Uh, Well, I enjoy doing sports. I don't really know what it is. They're just really fun and they kind of, like, get my mind off of it sometimes. You know, working towards a goal, I don't know, to kind of make her proud. I don't know. Or, I don't know, I guess it just kind of puts me in a good mindset going out for a walk or playing a match going to training it just gets my mind off things and it's just like really stress-free and I love it and yeah even just like baking and cooking as well I love doing because my mom used to be a chef so I don't know kind of like links me in with her well my mom used to love swimming and going outside so Whenever I'm at the sea, or if I see like a sunset or something, I kind of think to myself it reminds me of her. And also listening to some of her favorite songs kind of just like remind me of her. But it kind of makes me sad when I hear them. But also it's like
12: a nice memory. Do you have any ways you feel like connected to your dad? Um, I normally listen to songs that like he would listen to, or if they come on the radio, that would kind of like remind me of him. But he used to have very funny taste in music. Like he wouldn't like a specific genre of music. He used to just like anything. But, like, I, one song, like, that always reminds me of him is, like, weird song, um, Everything At Once by Link, I think. But, um... It's a very funny song for a man, like, to be listening to.
11: Well, yeah, I have some songs my mum used to love. I remember she used to love listening to Eminem and Rihanna and Beyonce, <laughs> you know, Eminem. all the kind of 2000s rappers and, like, singers. So I remember just kind of listening to them while I grew up, and they were nice.
12: But she used to love YouTube as well, so... Oh, my dad used to love you too actually. Yeah. He used to love one. So that's, just like, a nice bottom? kind of way
11: to feel connected. You know what I think is actually really hard after losing a parent? Mother's Day. It would be Mother's Day for me, but I guess Father's Day for you. I guess just seeing mothers and daughters out having lunch or getting their nails done, or even just every day, just seeing that like mother-daughter relationship. It's just like sad because I feel like having your biological mother, like doing stuff together it's just like sad I won't have that but I am lucky to have a stepmom so it's really nice to have that sort of figure in my life because I guess some people who lost their mom don't have that figure so I'm really grateful for that but you know it's still hard because I only had that relationship with my mom when I was really young
12: before she passed. Uh, How do you feel on Father's Day? On Father's Day at least it's not like as highly celebrated as Mother's Day because I think moms get more cross if Mother's Day isn't celebrated, you know. But I think it's really bad on Christmas because my dad died, like, before Christmas. Mm-hmm. So I think that holiday's always a bit sad. Even though my dad did really like Christmas, so then it's kind of a happy thing. But it's I find it hard, like, there's no, like, second parent to, like, bounce off of, you know, when, like, yeah. it's just me and my mom, or I say my mom and, like, the four of us because there's four siblings. But how do you feel in that kind of way?
11: Well, I remember... In primary school, there was a few things that really annoyed me about kind of stereotypes. So I remember the um, teachers would tell you to bring a note home for your mom to sign. I don't know what it was. They would never say, bring that home for your dad to sign. They'd always just be saying, mom, this, mom, that. And then I'd be sitting there like literally just maybe a few weeks or a few months after my mom passing away. And I remember in my head, I just felt so frustrated. Like I never said anything to the teacher about it, obviously. But I just kind of... Didn't really like that type of stereotype. I wish it was just like okay, just bring that home to your parent, you know. Yeah. And I remember that kind of like just annoyed me because there probably was some people in my class that mightn't have even had a dad or a mom either, you know. So they obviously kind of felt a bit kind of annoyed when the teacher just kind of assumed that you like you had your mom, you know. So I remember that kind of just like annoyed me a bit, but I just kind of kept it to myself, you know. But um, yeah, or even sometimes when people you know get like really annoyed at their parents like obviously that's normal like I probably get annoyed at my dad sometimes too like it's natural but like when people like are so excessively annoyed what I mean by getting annoyed at your parents is sometimes well personally this is my opinion but when people get annoyed at their parents without reason it just kind of annoys me a bit because it's just like you need to not take them for granted and you know just be grateful that they're there and just like thank them for everything you've like they've done for you you know just like while they're still there. It just, like, really frustrates me because it's, like, you don't know what it's like to not have them.
12: Exactly. I feel like people forget that their parents are actually people, the same as us, like, just older. But, um, oh, yeah, that makes me cross, too. Like, when people take for granted, like, their parents or just give out to them for no reason or get cross with them. Is there
11: anything that annoys you? Like, you know, about not having a dad and, like, maybe seeing something else happen that annoys you?
12: The only thing that I can think of off the top of my head would be, like, say, when you're doing, like, maths homework. work. I don't know, I feel like dads are always like good at maths so like when I go into maths and everyone's like oh yeah my dad was helping me with maths and work you know I kind of wish I still had that. Do you have any happy memories?
11: Uh, Yeah I do I remember cooking cupcakes with her and I remember always going out to restaurants and stuff and going swimming and yeah I remember I have loads of really good memories with her as well you
12: know going on walks and all and yeah do you have any? My dad was a farmer so we used to like always go down the farm on the weekends with him and one memory that I can all, like, always think about is he used to have like a digger and we used to like sit in the digger and he'd like lift the digger up and down. Now how safe it was, I don't know, but it used to be really fun. That's just one of the memories I always think about.
11: Yeah, my granddad used to have a boat so she used to know how to sail I think but we used to go on the boat sometimes and that was a happy memory, guess, down in West Cork in Skull. Yeah, my dad really liked West Cork as well. How would you describe your mum? Well, she was really funny and really nice, obviously. And she was very understandable and she always looked out for everyone. And she always wanted the best for everyone. And she always looked out for me and my brother so much. And she was very, how would you say, like selfless. Like she actually would just put us before her any day and just like do everything for us and she'd actually spoil us like
12: um. so yeah that was really nice uh do you have any my dad was actually really quick with it and he was quite funny he used to always like play with us out in the garden whether it be like jumping on the trampoline or like playing soccer or something like that or even playing around the farm with us or like chasing us and stuff like that is there anything that reminds you of your dad um, whenever like there's silage out, I know it's such a weird thing, but since he was a farmer, like whenever you used to come in, like say our back kitchen, there'd always be a smell of like slurry in the house or like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But my mum would always give out to my dad about the smell of slurry in the house or leaving his wellies in the kitchen. But one thing that always like sticks out is my dad used to drive up and down the field in his like tractor. And like there was like tractor tracks from going from the farm up to our house. It was kind of sad because they obviously were overgrown for the last couple of years, but seeing them go. um, But sometimes when it rains, you can still kind of see the tracks in the fields. What about you? Do you have any happy memories that remind you of your mum?
11: Yeah I don't know I think lavender she used to love the smell of lavender so that kind of reminds me of her and she used to love Yankee candles like the smell of them they're so nice. I remember on her mantelpiece she used to have so many Yankee candles so I actually have a few as well and they kind of like remind me of her and yeah I suppose there's probably other stuff as well but I kind of forget and but yeah also the other day it was Mother's Day and i think it was like two days beforehand there was just like a robin in my back garden and i think it's like a symbol of it, like a deceased loved one or something but i know some people mightn't really believe in that type of thing but i mean it, i think it might have been a symbol of her because it was literally mother's day like two days afterwards but yeah i guess that was kind of nice robins i think that's like nice to see them because it kind of like reminds you of them like someone you
12: lost yeah, whenever I I always, like, have a connection with, like, magpies. I don't have a like, connection with magpies? Anymore. Like, whenever I see two magpies, because I remember my dad used to say, like, one for sorrow, two for a joy, two for a girl, four for a boy. I can't remember the rest of it, but, like, yeah. whenever I ever see two magpies. It like, yeah. always makes me happy.
11: Yeah, I think it is really nice to have those memories of your loved one. And it's nice to, you know, kind of celebrate their life as well, you know, on their birthday and even their anniversary as well. Um, I remember I found her anniversary really hard this year because I was in school. But um, I just, like, kind of got to go into every classroom and did some colouring. So that kind of made me feel better rather than having to sit through a class.
12: But, um, yeah. Yeah, it's good to talk about them and think about them and, you know, like, not to put them aside, you know. Always keep them, say, alive in your memory.
11: Yeah, and just be grateful for your loved ones, you know, just be grateful you have them (laughs) exactly yeah so on that note we're gonna wrap it up today but thanks so much to anyone who was listening because obviously it's not an easy topic to talk about and yeah thank you so much everyone and to anyone who's going through a difficult time don't worry it's gonna be okay you'll get through it
12: there's always a rainbow after a rainy day so thank you everyone thank you
0: It must have been so hard to manage and cope going through and these girls are clearly so strong for sharing their stories. We can't thank them enough. So that wraps up this week's episode of Anything and Everything by SMC. Thank you to my wonderful co-hosts Sarah and Sophie. Girls did you enjoy the show? I love today's show. If you enjoyed it as
1: much as we did go back and check out our previous episodes. I will be back for a brand new episode next week so
0: stay tuned. Thank you to our wonderful teachers Miss Fisaris and Mr Quinton for all their hard work and our mentor George Hook for all his help. Stay tuned for next week. Bye.